it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Next, we're going to bring on Deborah Lauder, who is the executive director of the city's new office for the prevention of hate crimes and a former executive for the Anti-Defamation League. Deborah, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you so much. Pleasure thank, to join you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, do you want to just sort of quickly tell listeners uh, a little bit about your background? Sure. So I'm a native Californian. Uh, came out to New York City to get my law degree at Cardozo. Um, ended up in Atlanta, Georgia for a number of years where I became uh, a Jewish professional. I initially working as the Jewish Community Relations Council director down there. And then went over to the Anti-Defamation League and was the Southeast director and then came up here to New York to run the Civil Rights Division and then went to various leadership positions, um, ending as a senior vice president, overseeing so many of the things that I'm finding I'm doing right now, um, overseeing law enforcement training, uh, the education division in terms of training on um, edu- anti-bias and Holocaust education. And doing community relations. So um, coming to this position here in in the mayor's office, I felt like I was totally prepared for taking on Mm -hmm. this uh, enormous task. And did Mayor de Blasio have to do a lot of convincing to get you to take the job? Or was this something that you sort of jumped at the very difficult opportunity to do? Yeah, I'll tell you, I had taken a, a break from work after 18 years at the ADL, and uh, so was kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do next and standing on the sidelines when so, you know, so much hate was escalating. And I actually read about the job in uh, one of the local papers and applied for it and went through the interview process like like everybody did. Apparently it was a pretty competitive process and was just fortunate to uh, to get the appointment. Interesting. So how would you describe what is going on in New York City and what has transpired over the past year, especially the past couple of months, uh, in terms of trends in hate crimes, particularly anti-Semitic crimes? How do you distinguish that from any national trends from past history here? What What do you see is going on? Yeah, I mean, the national trends um, are showing across the board. There's an increase in hate crimes across the country. So what we're experiencing here in New York um, is also the increase. That's why this office was um, initiated, because I think city council and the mayor said, you know, enough of us just coming together and condemning incidents after the fact. Let's do something more long-term and more focused on preventative. Um, the incidents here, clearly because of the larger Jewish population, have been uh, higher rates of anti-Semitic incidents. Um you know, you see that in L.A. and some of the other highly populated Jewish uh, communities. Um, so the trends are concerning. Can't, could I tell you what's causing it? There's no one reason. I, you know, I, when those of us who've been toiling in this area, we wish it would be great to be able to say this is the one answer. This is what's causing it, and then we could fix it. But we seem to be um, dealing with a multiple layers of um Things that are just giving rise to the expression um, of hate, which we haven't seen in, in such a long time. So, you know, we think it's always been there. It's just somehow the expression of it now has become a little bit more normalized. And, um, One thing I'm curious about, given your experience from, from, from different cities and, and looking at this problem, is the 
the amplification effect or the copycat effect. Uh, obviously, you, you, know, you want to condemn incidents like the ones we've been talking about when they happen, uh, and when you do that, it makes the papers. And then I wonder, you know, do you, do you feel as though that sometimes has the perverse effect of inspiring uh, more of those acts, or or perhaps just inspiring people to report them when they occur? What's the what's the connection between sort of incident publicity and then and then further yeah. further uh, events? No, I, I think it's a good question. I think you're alluding to the answer. I, it's it really is both. I think um, when people see, you know, the swastika has been uh, highly publicized, the swastika graffiti, and when we look at the numbers, that's really where the huge increase of the anti-Semitic incidents has been. I think it's close to 80 percent of the. Um, the incidents were swastika vandalism. So, yeah, so our, our kids seeing it and young adults seeing it and then doing it. Um, but on the other hand, we need to expose it because you just can't ignore it. And we feel it will grow if you, if, you know, you, you take your eyes off it. So it's, it's a combination of, of factors. Um, and, again, you know, we're doing what we can to get at the root of it and looking at different neighborhoods and where it's appearing. Um, some of it probably is uh, tied to some extremist ideology. Um, others of it is tied to just uh, kids not understanding the severity of um, what's behind the swastika and why it's causing so much fear. So those two, you know, those two just citing those two things require different approaches for, for dealing with it. Um, yeah. The the mayor's talked a little bit about this, and I think I think you just sort of alluded to it in an earlier comment. But you know, this sort of um, general sense that across the country, the sort of dialogue has gotten a lot more heated in a, in various directions. Um, does is does that lead in a in a city like New York, especially where we've seen a lot of these, especially the anti-Semitic incidents? Does that national atmosphere, those conversations, things that, you know, are coming out of the president's mouth, but also, you know, his supporters and then some of his critics as well, do those, you think, have an impact on the ground in some of these, um, you know, more – these communities with more visibly Jewish New Yorkers that have, you know, pretty long-standing, um, you know, communities? Yeah, listen, words have consequences, and there's definitely been a coarsening of the rhetoric coming from elected officials, from the media, from social media. Um, when I meet with high school kids and talk to them about this, they that's what they acknowledge. They say, listen, it's everywhere. You know, they, I was – the uh, Chancellor Carranza and I visited a high school a, a few weeks ago to talk about what's been going on uh, in Brooklyn. And these kids were, were telling me, you know, the kinds of conversations that happen and the, the racist things they hear, the anti-Semitic things they hear. And one of the girls, I, I said, well, what do you do when you hear it? You know, do you say that's not cool? And she goes, no, we just kind of like shrug our shoulders. And she said, it's just become normal. And I said, is that the kind of society you want to see? And she said, no. She said, we need we need to be able to have tools to learn how to interrupt that kind of speech. Which was music to my ears. Right. Because, so, so let's talk. Know, yeah. So let's talk yeah. a bit about those tools and what your office is doing. I guess before we get into even sort of programmatically, your office is up and running. I mean, where you know, do you, yeah. do, you, do you have a desk? I mean, where what's you know, you, the mayor um, 
wound up opening your office a little bit earlier than the legislation required. But um, just give us a little bit of the nuts and bolts of what your office uh, is like. Sure. So the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes is uh, a unit within the mayor's office of criminal justice. So I can actually tell you that today I moved into our permanent space. Uh, oh, in look at that timing. Street. Yeah, perfect timing. Um, in addition to me, there are six staff. Um, almost all of them are on board. The, the final ones will be here uh, next week. So I'm absolutely de- delighted. We have a, a full unit in place now. Um yeah, and, you know, it's been incredibly busy because, you know, I envisioned, I knew it was going to be busy, you know, putting an office together and just getting the nuts and bolts going. I didn't and no one could have, I think, anticipated that we'd be operating in pretty much crisis mode in the first few months, um, responding to uh, the anti-Semitism and in the wake of uh, the horrendous incidents in Jersey City and Monsey, New York. The level of fear in the religious Jewish communities in Brooklyn were at a level that, you know, I certainly have never experienced in my 30 years doing this business. So um, a lot of it has been, you know, providing support to those communities and at the same time trying to put in place a proactive uh, plan to address uh, hate across the board. We want to talk uh, about education and that critical element, but let's focus on the enforcement side because that's obviously been a big part of the conversation in reaction to the recent spate of incidents. And talk about the elements as as you see them fitting in increased enforcement in neighborhoods, um, the question of whether the bail law needs to be revised to account for hate crimes, and in general, what you see the role of hate crimes enforcement being at attacking the larger problem. Uh, you know, what, what role does that play, do you feel? Yeah. So, listen, I've, I've been saying consistently since I started this job that there's, there's not one way to, to fight this hate and to respond. So it's going to take the law enforcement side, it's going to take the community relations, and it's going to take education. So I think if you look at the response over the last few months in Brooklyn, the law enforcement element has clearly dominated because I think NYPD was being very responsive to the community fear, stepping up patrols, you know, more lighting, cameras, uh, security for different institutions. Um, but that's that's not the long-term solution. I think we, everyone recognizes it's an essential ingredient. But, um, you know, there, there's other things. When I look at, and I mentioned earlier, you know, the kids who are doing the swastikas, that kind of thing, those are not kids we, we're going to want to throw in prison. You know, these are kids that will go through the Family Justice Center. And for me, you know, I, I would like to see us create restorative justice programs that, can really educate kids about the consequences of hate and acting out on hate and then, you know, potentially have them be part of uh, being peer leaders to others to be able to share what they've learned and how they can, um, you know, help instead of being um, a negative force in their communities. So I think there's things that that we can do across the board that will will have these long-term positive impacts. And and those Restorative justice programs, just to be clear, those are things that don't exist that you want to see created statutorily? Yeah, so what we're doing right now is um, 
we're bringing together what I'm calling the interagency committee on hate crimes. There are identified 11 agencies that have had been stakeholders somehow in, in hate crime, um, either prevention or response. So everywhere, clearly NYPD, the DOE, Department of Education, the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and Thrive, uh, the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. So there's a number of these agencies, and I brought them all together for the first time to, like, share what each of them are doing and to um, start trying to think creatively about what's been missing in this picture. So one of the areas, we're breaking into working groups, you know, some dealing with um, youth and education, some dealing with victim support, and one of them is going to be on restorative justice. So that group is doing an assessment of what currently exists in restorative justice programs and are going to be looking at those models and seeing maybe we can create something um, that would have a focus on hate crime perpetrators. And just quickly, Jarrett brought up the, the bail reform that's become part of this discussion and the, and the spike in hate crimes has become part of the bail discussion. Um, and we were talking, I don't know if you heard when you first got on the line, but we were talking just before you joined us with former city council member David Greenfield, who said he recently had a chance to march with you and talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brought up that as something to to ask you about um, when we asked him if there was anything specific, you know, he thought we should we should raise with you. And he 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 raised this question of changing the bail laws. And we know Mayor de Blasio has talked about his preference uh, for how to change the bail law. Um, but in terms of this specific aspect of it, which Governor Cuomo has indicated, he thinks um, mm-hmm. is, is a potential change to the law. From your perspective, do you think that that is um, a wise direction to head in. To, to yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, obviously, I definitely agree with the mayor that there needs to be judicial discretion, um, and that those carve-outs, you know, I think there's a clear movement to have some of that limited carve-outs made. Um, you know, I'm not sure about one of the things I want to look at. Um, I know it's been batted around that uh, the recidivism rate of hate crime. Uh, I'm not so sure that's accurate. I want to double check on those stats before we make that assumption. Um, so you stats know, a lot that of say it's it's a very high recidivism rate. It's a high uh-huh. recidivism mm-hmm. rate. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's true. But you know, clearly, you know, if somebody has propensity for violence and has acted out, that's going to take a whole different. Um, uh, approach by a judge than somebody who maybe has done a swastika and you know some kind of property damage or vandalism. Um, I'm not sure that those would be eligible for you know bail anyway. They it's it's not going to rise to the level of criminality. So I, I think you know people are being very thoughtful about how to do it. The bail reform was desperately needed, and you know. We'll, we'll be working closely you know, to tailor something and make recommendations that would be, um, you know, a sound way to deal with this issue. In the couple of minutes we have left, let's talk about education. And people use that word a lot quite legitimately in, in terms mm-hmm. of this issue. But speaking practically, you know, you've you've talked to the chancellor uh, um, and, and talk about, I guess, two things. One is practically how how can we get the right kind of education in front of the city's youth is there is there room in the school day is there a mechanism for making sure it gets to all the different kinds of schools charter and public and private and parochial we have and then the second part is we focus on youth education but i wonder is there an adult ed segment of this i mean so much 
uh, of our population is beyond school, and I think those might be the folks who whose attitudes need the most uh, reflection. Is there a way to try to spread the message we're giving to young New Yorkers to their their parents and grandparents? Yeah. So I'll start with the first one. Uh, you know, the the chancellor um, sent out a pretty comprehensive set of resources dealing with respect. Um, it went out to about 150,000 uh, educators in the Department of Education system, um, encouraging them to step up their commitment to having conversations with kids about, um, you know, what's been going on with hate crimes and addressing them. Um, and that was followed up by, um, I don't know if you're aware, I guess it's now two weeks ago, we went to the um, uh, Museum of Jewish Heritage that has a Auschwitz exhibit right now that's pretty uh, powerful, and we went with a, a group of students from Brooklyn and announced that we're bringing 14,000 kids, uh, uh, eighth graders and tenth graders, to that exhibit, and in addition, giving their families uh, four tickets. Any kid 12 years and up is eligible for four tickets for their family to visit. So that gets to your question about you know, can we also influence? parents, which I think is critically, critically important. When I've been going into schools and meeting with um, uh, the principals and talking about uh, raising the commitment to um, respect education, uh, the respect element, uh, I do hear from them that parents are also asking for for, uh, resources to how to... um, to do a better job. So that is one another element that this office will be looking at. Um, listen, all of us all of us can use um, tools to do a better job. And so, you know, we're working now, the, the mayor announced our neighborhood safety coalition that's going to involve people on the ground, community leaders working together to um, come up with action plans about how to foster diversity and culture discussions among all so that we can um, really start long term to prevent um, you know negative attitudes and whatnot so just take um, just take one last quick minute and then we'll sure. we'll let you go and we thank you for the time on that because a lot of what we're seeing here is is in certain neighborhoods where we have the more identifiable Jewish populations of the city and the neighboring communities to those to those communities and how to bridge gaps there, create more cultural understanding. Can you take another minute on on the plans on that front and the and sure. the barri- and the hurdles? Yes. So um, it's I've been very heartened. Actually, some of the, the best meetings I've had um, have been out in, in the religious communities, meeting with Hasidic leaders. Um, there's a real willingness on many of the rabbis' parts to um, to let let their neighbors know who they are and to address kids' questions about why do they wear these black coats and these black hats. So we are right now, uh, as we speak, coming up with uh, programs where these Hasidic rabbis are going to be visiting the public schools in their neighborhoods and doing these kinds of walk through and and talk with kids programs. So um, excited about that. Yeah. Okay, well, we will look forward to checking with in with you in the future about uh, the rollout of you know the full rollout of your office and and a lot of this work. And uh, Deborah Lauder, the executive director of the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes, thanks for taking some time with us. Thank you. Take okay. care. Take care. Jarrett, thoughts on what we heard from Deborah Lauder there? Uh, well, I think it is clear that she is someone who brings a lot of experience to this job, and I think you know there one thing that she said I think was very 
uh, prescient and, and, and strikes a chord is that there's no silver bullet here. There are a lot of different things happening. You have youth who don't understand what they're talking about, what a swastika means. You have mental illness. You have people who are going to be involved in the criminal justice system, people who hopefully are not. Uh, and you have folks who it is, whom are relatively easy to reach and educate in the sense of people who are in school, hopefully at a young age, and folks beyond school who we have to reach in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a complex issue. And so I think the, the call for urgency that David Greenfield mentioned while totally legitimate and understandable, um, you know, there also is the need to, to put in place a, a few different policies to get at all those different points. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all true. I mean, one of the things I keep thinking about is that some of, you know, like like a variety of things, sometimes there are spikes in certain types of crime. As you mentioned in one of your questions, sometimes there's sort of just like copycat elements to it. There's a little bit of a sweeping atmosphere of something. People, you know, get caught up in, in trying to do these things and, you know, not get caught and things like that. We see a spike. We see some more police presence and then it sort of dies down. Meanwhile, we're throwing, you know, new domestic terrorism laws on the books and we're flooding, you know, communities with cameras and doing all these other things, even some of the educational elements, you know, I mean, they they all the educational elements certainly seem very good, you know, but I also wonder what we're really talking about here and trying in terms of trying to undercut a trend it's probably better than doing nothing, but, you know, they're building out a new city office and they're, you know, doing all these things where this may be a temporary, you know, spike in certain activity that we don't have that much control over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's just one thing point. I keep and I thinking about. I think that's why it. the emphasis in your questions on education is key, because I think that's where the unintended consequences will be least, right? I mean, you can't really hurt yourself by explaining to people more about incidents of hate in the past, distant past, recent past. It's when you start locking people up and putting new laws in the books that perhaps you can look back in 10 years and say, oops, you may have overreacted. Perhaps. You know, I, I, I also do worry about even some of these programs. You know, what she said at the end there about having some of the rabbis go to community schools right outside, you know, the neighboring schools right outside of the more identifiably Jewish communities sounds like a great idea. You know, it also just if it's not done in the right way and it's not done in a sustained way, also concerns me in some ways, you know, I mean, these things need to be done very carefully, very tactfully, you know, they need to be monitored, there needs to be a lot of appropriate discussion around it, not just like a show and tell, Um, you know, so I think there's a lot to follow up on there. But I do that does sound promising to me as a program, um, you know, perhaps even more so than more visits to, you know, a Holocaust museum, although I think that can be valuable as well. Well, we will certainly do our best to monitor it here. Thank you for being part of our show. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.